change comes from within the company and forces a new thinking and a new way of deciding things at the management level, at the board level. It's not something that happens by itself. I think that is what we sometimes label as culture. And then we think somehow culture happens or is just there and and magically employees operating in a good culture will do the right things. But we have to do a lot to work with the culture and to foster that and, and, and so on. Welcome to the Leading Transformational Change podcast. Our passion is to help you lead and develop organizations with a remarkably healthy culture that can positively impact all of its stakeholders. Every other Thursday, we drop hour-long conversations with world-leading researchers and experts on culture, ethics, change, and leadership. My name is Tobias Sturluson, and I'm your host and the co-founder of Arts Management. What can an effective culture change program really look like? And how can we help our leaders make more values-driven decisions? Today, I am super excited to bring you a conversation with two legends in the business ethics space. Michael Albay has been instrumental in building up the ethics and compliance function at several large multinationals as the chief ethics and compliance officer at companies like Telia Sonora, Volvo Cars, Nokia Siemens Networks and Yetinga. Anna Romba is the current executive vice president of sustainability, legal and compliance at Yetinga and co-founder of the Nordic Business Ethics Initiative. Michaela and Anna are co-authors of a great book called The Gray Zone. I had them both on the podcast in 2020, and a few months after, Michaela contacted me and shared her vision of creating a world-class, state-of-the-art, responsible leadership program at Yetinge, a multinational medtech company with over 10,000 employees. Over the last few years, I've been privileged to help Michaela and Anna design and facilitate this program that has now had over 1,000 participants and has been used to spark conversations about values and ethical dilemmas from the factory floor to the boardroom. We've collaborated with a faculty of leading researchers and experts, many of whom I've interviewed on this podcast. And as you will hear in the conversation, the program has been incredibly well received and even called Yetingen's own Netflix. I know that many of you are looking for practical tips on how to promote a healthier, more ethical and values-driven culture in your organization. And as we talk a lot about on this podcast, leaders at all levels play a critical role in promoting that. And that's why I wanted to talk to Anna and Michaela about why they decided on a responsible leadership program, what they were trying to accomplish, what they learned along the way, and what results they've seen. We talk about why it's not enough that leaders know the company values, but instead need to get to know themselves better and understand why they can so easily end up in tunnel vision and make bad decisions, even if they have good intentions. We also talk about what it takes to be a responsible leader in our increasingly complex world. I am sure that you're going to love this conversation. So without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Michaela and Anna. 
Anna and Michaela, it is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, it's it's really it's always an honor and pleasure to to speak with you to be us. That is uh, the the feelings are mutual, definitely, and and we've actually had a conversation on this podcast before. Uh, I think that is about two years ago or something like that, or maybe even three years ago now. And when we talked a lot about your experience at Telia at that time, or or your experiences after that, and and working with a company that had gone through a scandal, and working with building up ethics and uh, and uh, compliance and a culture of responsibility and so on and so uh, but today we're going to have a bit of a different focus and I'm super excited about this conversation because I think that so many of our audience are excited to hear about examples of organizations that are really trying to build in uh, what we talk a lot about in this this uh, podcast, cultural health. And of course, we're going to talk about responsible leadership into their organization. And, and you've done that. And I, I've been incredibly fortunate to, to get to be a, a part of that, that venture at, at Yetinge. So, but you, you both have long experience within the ethics and compliance field at several Nordic multinationals. And you've, as I alluded to, even worked with companies that have faced highly publicized scandals. So what did what made you see the need to focus on responsible leadership? I had this sneaky feeling, and I've had this sneaky feeling for many, many years, that a large part of, of the work that we do is actually not creating any effect. It's It has to be done. But Anna and I have had long, long, long discussions about why isn't it taking? Why isn't it working in the way that it should be? So, so um, I felt we needed to think a little bit differently. And we needed to find a way to really reach leaders and people in the organization. So, so that we're not ethics and compliance on the side of the organization. I really wanted to get into the organization. And I think that one thing that both Anna and I agreed upon is that people highly overestimate the importance of knowledge in the different topics, right? So, so we, we know about the legislation. We always come with this threat, Oh, there is this uh, legislation on anti-bribery corruption. It's very, very, very expensive. And it's the U.S. and it's the Department of Justice. It's the prosecutor. And you can go to jail and you can pay all this and you can end up in the newspapers. So we have this, we, we focus a lot on the topical knowledge. But really, when these things happen, when scandals and re- wrongdoing is happening, it's often not because people lack knowledge of the topic. It's not that. It's that they lack knowledge about themselves. So we have we are not trained anywhere, not when we study economy and not when we study law. We are not trained to understand human behavior. And still, when you work in ethics and compliance, behavior is all that you work with. So we felt that we needed to find ways to explain human behavior in a, in a professional and easy accessible manner. 
And that was one part. But then what we are seeing is also that ethics and compliance is really also merging towards sustainability. There is a higher level of expectations on companies to act responsibly, to assume responsibility for more factors that the shareholders getting as rich as possible. And we see an acceleration of this because of the existential problems that we are facing in the, in the world today. And these two things combined meant that we felt we needed to do something differently. Yeah, and I think if I, I shortly just uh, compliment from my side, uh, I do think that the lived experience at, at Telia and then subsequent work that we've done with different companies. And then um, to be, as you know, I had this, this lifelong research project as well that I, I you know, magically managed to, to complete somehow. Um, but, but I remember also there, I, I was reading a lot of research, as I know you do as also, and about like the so- socialization. And it's so important that employees in our organization make things personal. And, and they take the values, the rules, the behaviors to heart, and they see their own personal role in that. And, and, and that, is, that is really the deal breaker if a compliance program works or not. And I tend to talk about like the formal compliance piece, which is the trainings, whistleblowing hotlines, due diligence processes, and the more informal piece, which is all about, you know, socialization by employees that they take these values and behaviors to heart and and then this responsible leadership program that we've we've all the three of us built together at Yetinge that that's really an attempt to make it personal to to make this formal compliance program something that's highly personal and highly you know relevant for for anybody in the organization to relate to it's so, so helpful. And I, I think about something that I think Anton Brunsell, professor uh, who's been on this podcast and also part of the Responsible Leadership Program, I think she said that it doesn't help if you know about the values, you've, you've read the values, if at the moment of making a decision, they're kind of just going out the window. And I think that's that's a part of, of, of what we're talking about here. And and I, I'm, I'm just thinking about our audience. I think everyone is nodding and saying, yes, yes, yes. We're, that's exactly the, the issues that we're facing. So in, in building this responsible leadership program, and I think I guess we'll, we'll need to give some context to what it is as well, but what did you want to try to accomplish? So when we talked about this first, Tobias, if you remember, quite a few years ago now, I said that I wanted to achieve that people read different articles in the newspapers. That you change your focus a little bit. Because Anna and I and, and you, we read all about the scandals. We we have read all about the PwC Australia that are cheating their own customers. And, you know, we read these articles. They find us somewhere all the time. But other people read about the the share price going up and down and uh, what shares to buy for next year and, you know, all these types of, and also, of course, other information about the world. But but we really, I really wanted to kind of shift, help people shift focus a little bit. So that was, that was kind of the first thing I wanted to achieve. And with that, we wanted to, inspire people 
to be the change, <laughs> you know, to be part of a change that we have to see in building a culture, in assuming bigger responsibility, in being a different type of, of player in society today. So, and, 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 and the, the experience that I have is that I really, what I do really doesn't matter at all unless I can really reach individuals and people who can matter, right? So, so, so that is the importance. And it's like one person by one person, we will see something happening in the, in the company. And we have traditionally, when we work in ethics compliance, we are very focused on people at the top, the board, the management, and, and they are important people. I'm not saying that they are not, but I think that change doesn't come from there. Change comes from within the company and forces a new thinking and a new way of deciding things at the management level, at the board level. And we also, I mean, Michaela and I talk a lot about um, enabling and inspiring that that's at the core of an ethics and compliance program, where, again, if, if I use the word formal piece, like like the traditional compliance work, it's, it's the enabling piece where we put policies, processes, controls, training in place to, to, to make sure our colleagues, they know what the right thing to do is, and, and they, they are sort of supported to do that. And then the inspiring piece, which is, is really at the core of the responsible leadership program, that is, that's really about the wanting to do the right thing. So they are not only enabled and, and able to do the right thing, but there is really this desire to make the right decision, to reflect. And, 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 and you, you, you know me to be as by now, and I am sure many who listens have heard me say this as well, but it's like, is that what's, what's legal is not always the right thing to do. And as we see with many big scandals, you know, the legal ramifications are what they are, but they have still became, become like a huge scandal with reputational damages for individuals and their careers have been ruined and so on for just making bad decisions. So, so that is kind of the inspiring piece that's, uh, yeah, we think it's, it's, it's equally important or actually perhaps more, more important. I, again, I don't have a, uh, science to support this argument, but but I tend to say that the formal piece, like the enabling piece, is like twenty percent of the job, and and this inspiring piece, and and making sure that each and every one in the organization wants to do the right thing, that's really the majority of of the work, and it's it's not something that happens by itself. I think that is what we sometimes label as culture, and then we think somehow culture happens or is just there and, and magically employees operating in a good culture will do the right things. But we have to do a lot to work with the culture and to foster that and, and, and so on. Yeah, and I, this, this is so, so helpful. And I, I think, of course, this aspect of that, it's not just, uh, yeah, I mean, wanting to do the right thing. But I think Another aspect that we really try to tackle and get thing, get people to reflect on is why is it then so incredibly hard? Like why, if 
we think that most people probably, I mean, of course, we we have the outliers the, where we, we can see the examples of people who just seemed, I mean, genuinely greedy and evil and they just do these decisions. But of course, in many cases, it's not. It was some engineers at Volkswagen that, I mean, all these examples, it's regular people like us and 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 to to reflect on so how can i actually end up in situations that i would never have assumed that i was able to do because i assumed that i was i was good in our organization i mean we're a nice and good organization so how what's what's your perspective on that also from the perspective of the the responsible leadership program now when i'm speaking about um, ethics or and ethics and compliance you know you talk about the different risks you talk about the, the the legal risk, the financial risk, the reputational risk, all these risks that you have in connection with as a consequence of misconduct of some sort. But now I, I talk a lot about the human risk, so so which I think is also interesting when we have all this discussion about AI. But but the human the humans that you have in your organization are your biggest asset, but they are also your biggest risk. And, and if, if we kind of understand how vulnerable we are to do the wrong thing, we might want to stay a little bit in this uncomfortable time when we haven't made up our mind, when we are undecided, when there is friction and there is different information and we have to be in it. If we can understand how important that is, Maybe we can prolong that period so we reflect a little bit more on our actions and our decisions. And, and what we did in Responsible Leadership, of course, is that we interviewed a lot of people who are really, really inspiring and knowledge about, about the human behavior. They are scientists and they are very experienced people in human behavior who can talk about how good people make bad decisions. How is it possible? Corporate misconduct would not be possible, I'm quoting Guido Palazzo, if it weren't for the participation of people like you and me. And the formal part of compliance is very much focused on the bad people, the people in succession and people who are bad. Well, very few people are bad. So we have to focus on all the other people as well. So, so, so if that knowledge, to try to bring that knowledge to people, to understand if you put this pressure on people, that the human risk gets elevated and people want to belong and people are afraid of not belonging. And when people are afraid, they do all sorts of strange things. So to really understand this and to dig into it and talk about it and look at live examples and see what played in here? Was it that people rationalized? Were they afraid of not reaching their targets? Were they blinded by goals? You know, all of these things that are affecting us much, much more than we want to believe. Yeah, and I think that the, one of the reasons, I think it's, it's Anne Ten Brunsel who is talking about that we are not as ethical as we think in, in the responsible leadership program. And she's, she's opening up her research there. And, uh, and I think that is, that is 
one of the issues that we think we are ethical per default, and then we sort of rationalize our behaviors and we think, okay, I made this decision, but because I'm an ethical person, that can't be too wrong. And and that was also a driver for, for why, um, uh, together with, with Nina, we established this Nordic Business Ethics Initiative, and, and we've done this survey because we've interacted with a lot of boards and executive management teams at Nordic companies. And the, the sort of red thread in those discussions is like, yeah, but we are an ethical company. We are a good company. We have good people working at this company. So then we look at the scandals like Ericsson or Telia or Swedbank. They are outliers not here because our people are good. And, and I think that is, that's the whole kind of myth that we want to burst with the program and say, yeah, of course, we want to be good human beings. I think majority, as you said, Tobias, yeah, there are the outliers, but most of the employees, you know, I don't know, 97%, they want to be good. They want to do the right thing. They come to work to do the right things, but we are all prone to mistakes, to ethical tunnel vision, to ethical blindness. And I think there, again, if I'm citing uh, Guido Palazzo, you know, he's he's saying that it's so critical to ask yourself, like, could I have been the one making this mistake or did I enable it somehow? Like, you have to go through that all the time. And, and um, it's not, sometimes I hear that, okay, you have a really dark view of the world and everybody's bad and, and so on, but it's it's not really, it's just being realistic that we live in a complex world that's just the fact there are conflicting targets and you know pressures and push and pull and so on and we just have to be real with how the world looks like and then equip ourselves and and our colleagues to deal with that so i'm gonna have to ask you of course because i think the listeners i think is what is this responsible leadership program so (laughs) could you you, (laughs) exactly could you describe what it is yeah, yeah, um, and I think we 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 have uh, on Yetinga's homepage. I think we have posted a few videos, so so we can actually share some some links uh, there uh, f- from it. But uh, I I think Michaela, you have to because this is this is your baby, so you have to explain <laughs> it in more detail. Well, you know, it is it is actually a very ambitious effort to um, in, enable and inspire. And what we have done is that we have interviewed and created podcasts that are between 12 and 15, 16 minutes, where we, you, interview Tobias, <laughs> interview people who are knowledgeable around the two topics, the topic of the human risk, human behavior, and the topic about the increased expectations of responsibility in companies today how businesses will have to assume a bigger responsibility for the society that they are a part of and not a part of. So, so, so these two topics, we are interviewing really wonderful people, very, very inspiring people, people who have inspired me, people who have inspired Anna and are inspiring people in, in, in Yetinga today. So you can watch these small podcasts, you can listen to them while you're out, taking your morning walk with the dog or whatever. It's a very easy accessible. And then we have combined that with cases to do workshops in ca- with cases where we take the knowledge that we maybe have learned about human behavior and look at different cases and say, so what happened here? 
What was the human factors that created this scandal? Why did people behave like idiots? Why did they do the wrong thing? What happened? And then people can start analyzing, yes, there was a pressure of the KPIs. Yes, there was this toxic leadership. Yes, this was this and this and that. And then we can also in the workshops ask, have you ever experienced this? Can you find elements here where you recognize yourself, where, where you now think you might would have acted differently or where you will act differently in the future? Or examples from Yetinge or your own experience that are similar to this. So that people can start, you know, not only looking at Swedbank scandal and thinking, yes, they had pressure, they were blinded, this was, but also take it to themselves and start thinking, that, well, what about our own KPIs? What about our own pressure? What about my own leadership? Without, what about our management style? You know, all of this to internalize it a little bit more. And, and um, hopefully, it's really ambitious because it's a, it's a program that um, uh, asks maybe 25, 28 hours of the people who are participating in it. Uh, so it's a very ambitious effort. But it's also treating employees in Getinge like intelligent people who have the capacity to grow, understand, and learn. And in, in Getinge, we call, call everything GET, also the executive team. We are a GET, Getting executive team. And that's what we call, call like we have three, three blocks, basically. So these inspirational podcasts with thought leaders and researchers Those are called Get Inspired. And then we have these cases, which are really nicely illustrated and sort of four or five minutes, they call Get Practical. And then we have these, these workshops, which is then Get, get Personal. Uh, so, so that's sort of the whole, whole setup. And we've also decided that it's, um, it's not mandatory. Uh, so so it's, it's a voluntary program. Uh, we hope and uh, I think we've, we've succeeded to, to a large extent to create a bus to, to make it something that's highly relevant. Actually, our colleagues, they want to go and watch this and, and they talk, talk to each other and say, hey, you know, this is great and, and, and so on. And it's all about, uh, you know, the, the philosophy around learning as well that, as Mikaela said, we, we treat our colleagues as highly intelligent individuals. So it's not saying you have to do this. Again, all of this is about the inspirational piece and, and wanting to, to do the right thing. And that's why we feel it's important that those who participate, they want to do the program. You don't, Mikaela set out a couple, you know, how many hours if you watch everything or, or listen to everything you don't even have to do that you can participate in the workshops even if you haven't watched or listened to everything so it's really about personal accountability as as well um, what we see is is though that that our colleagues actually watch and listen to things several times because they think it's interesting and, and so on uh, and also Um, what we have seen, even, even if, if uh, I said it is, it is voluntary, we do see that managers, certain team leaders, they desire, they set it as a target for their team that they say, okay, hey, I want you to go through this program and then we're going to discuss this, this as a team. So, so in, in certain aspects, some managers may, may decide to, to put it as, as sort of a more more mandatory thing but from our side and from ethics and compliance side it's it's not something we're gonna 
push down people's throats, but but we hope to create a movement and, and something that's lasting. It's not a one-time effort that you've completed it once and then you're done. Uh, even if we, we do have, you can graduate from the, the, the first part of the program. But we our, our ambition and desire is, is really to keep it alive, to keep it as, as sort of uh, a core of, of how we operate in a sustainable way as a company. I think it was so so fun. A uh, uh, manager at Yetinge who recognized me came up and and talked about the program and and she said that that she was thinking about she was planning to sit and watch Netflix uh, one night and then she said she went on the responsible leadership program instead and she couldn't stop watching. So she called it the the, the Yetinge Netflix. So so <laughs> what 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 are some other stories that you've been hearing? I guess it's more than a thousand people that have been been a part of this journey. So so yeah, what what are some stories that you're hearing that have inspired you? Well, I think the Netflix story is is is, is a core theme. I think my uh, my colleague, our chief commercial officer, he he calls it Getflix. And, and I, I have to say, I mean, in a launch to Karsten here, because I have not seen in any other company that I work with a sales organization that have, would have been so committed to something that, than our global sales organization. It's been highly encouraging to see how they, they've taken it to heart. And and also, I do think, I don't know, Mikaela, if you, you agree, but I think if we, we take our global sales organization as, as an example, where they have spent an immense amount of time of looking at these episodes, they have been discussing, they have regional presidents that are responsible to lead workshops together with the, their, their sort of peers or, and, and, and also in the global commercial management team. Uh, they take turns in, in facilitating these workshops as well. And uh, I have not been able to participate in, in all of those. I think Mikaela has been part of, of more of those discussions. But just to sit there and listen to the commercial organi- organization talk about the cross pressures, the conflicting targets, ethical dilemmas, in the way that they do, it's just like it makes me almost, almost cry because it's 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 a bit surreal sometimes that they really take that time. You you wish it would happen, and and in parts of organization, especially now, if I lift up global sales as an example, they uh, they do that. So yeah, that's just one example from my side. Yeah, and uh, Michaela, you and I we wrote. I think it was last year in in uh, one of the leading Swedish newspapers about values and wrote that values are too often used as a shield to protect against criticism, but they should really lead to engaging conversations about the friction that we're facing in our businesses, about the hard questions, about the dilemmas, about the conflicting goals and so on. And and I and but but actually creating those conversations and ensuring that they are actually getting to the core of what is really going on and 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 not becoming just a one off that but but something that lives within the organization i think seeing those conversations in the sales organization has been been uh, really really inspiring in that way is, is there some some example michaela that has really kind of stood out to you in terms of what you've seen has been the impact of this this program so far well i have a I agree with Anna. I'm really, really proud of how the sales organizations have kind of adopted this program to themselves and are using it as a tool without 
participation of people from the ethics and compliance team. I think that's a really great achievement. But what has also been really heartwarming for me is that people come back to me, reach out to me and talk about experiences in Jettinge. So they are kind of closing the loop, thinking, seeing, seeing how maybe we should have done differently, how maybe we should do differently in the future, how we are, you know, so they are actually really, in in my mind, closing the loop, taking it back, taking it personal, taking it into a real situation and not just somewhere else, some some other company, some some program or whatever, but internalizing it properly. And that I think is a really big, big win. And you know, you I've been working in 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 Swedish and Nordic businesses for four, more than 40 years. And and I have seen many cultural programs with all these different lead words on how we want leadership or how we want the culture. It's always open. It's forward thinker. It's always, you know, these different words which we aspire to. And it never works. It never, never works. Still, we continue in businesses doing the same things like, you know, like real idiots wishing that maybe this will work, this will work. This time we are figuring out four really good words that we are going to push into the organization. It doesn't work like that. That's not how you build a culture. A culture is built from what you do and what you decide day by day by day by day. Not in a think tank and then you push it out. No, it's like you have to be consistent, you have to be persistent and you have to work and work and work and understand that this is a, is a, this is a job that will never be over. And it's, the thing is that I think that it is becoming more and more important because historically we have been able to make people enthusiastic about profit, bonuses, making a lot of money and what you can buy for all the money. But that is becoming a little bit less and less relevant because people, younger people today are more concerned about the environment, the social problems that we are facing. And 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 that's where the culture and where the purpose of the organization becomes more and more important. If you want to have good people and if you want to have customers, <laughs> and, you know. So, so I think that this work with culture and your values and who you are as a company is, is really important. And you cannot, you know, do it in five minutes and then you're done. No, and I and I think that's that's been really one of my uh, kind of what what I've realized as well over years working with culture is that we do all these short term initiatives, but really what it comes down to is just like with our physical health, with which should be the most obvious thing in the world, but it's not that 
it's about the habits. It's about the same things that we repeatedly do. What are the conversations we're having? What are the things that we're regularly reflecting on? How are we making our decisions? And, and I mean, that's where culture happens. And, and changing that then, of course, becomes harder. It's not, I, I don't think it's necessarily that complex, but it is hard because it is inconvenient. And it's it requires us to make some difficult difficult decisions and priorities and and so on and and as, as you and Anna you are in in the management team of uh, a multinational company Yetting and and as you're like facing this and I think facing this world when we when we started doing the the responsible leadership program just thinking about how many things have happened since then how many news stories how many examples of corruption of unethical behavior and now we have of course the whole conversation around ai and and that has so many ethical implications and we have scientists warned that that we're like we're going quickly against our destruction and we have and i mean we just have the oppenheimer movie which i guess helped many of us to reflect again on what it means when we like run hard against a, a goal and we get our best minds around it and we get certain drivers behind it and so on what's as as a leader in a in a large multinational company how are you reflecting on on these issues and in terms of really how we can get that more if we would say responsible leadership into our organizations and of course we're never going to handle all this perfectly no one is but to try to do it a little bit better at least yeah that's i think it's just you have to be very very humble because it, it is complex and and just as wonderful as this responsible leadership program is it's, it's not a silver bullet. Like it's not, and that's, you know, what I've had to say internally as well. Now, when we've had this wonderful program, it's like, then something happens. You know, we, we have a whistleblowing case alleging something and then I can hear, oh, but, you know, don't we have this program now? So we should be immune. And it's like, the world doesn't work like that, right? Now we have a person who actually feels comfortable of speaking up. That's a great, great thing. But, but and, and I think in this world of, you know, just it's it's becoming really hard to do global business we have the geopolitical you know situation with the us and china and russia and ukraine and, and all and how do you relate to that how do you relate to other regimes that are not respecting human rights for example how do you how do you relate to a fully outsourced operating model where you have multiple thousands of suppliers all around the globe because it's cheaper but now you know that it's probably not better from an environmental and, and social perspective. So, so how do you deal with that? It's, it is hard. And I think it's really difficult to be a company that wants to do the right thing. Um, but it's also easy. I, I would, I would, and I think that's also what this program has, has taught me, that it's, it's, it's hard and difficult, yes. But if somebody pops the question, Somebody just says one thing, and I'm thinking, Mikhail, of our session that we had with our board, with Yetting's board of directors. I mean, of course, it felt a bit uncomfortable to go up there, and we knew it's going to be maybe a bit challenging to ask the board to reflect upon their role and so on. But then you have one individual or somebody who just says, like, one thing, who, who actually dares to speak up, and that releases the whole atmosphere, and then you have this terrific discussion. So in a way, it is it is hard, 
But then, you know, by just like raising those questions and then when we going back to your your question to be as more specifically, I think we just have to be bold to raise those questions. And, and you know, as Mikaela said, reflect and say, okay, now this is really uncomfortable. And I say that to my peers in the executive team as well, that I'm not like the perfect ethical human being that knows and, and everything. And sometimes it's really, really uncomfortable for me to raise a thing. I sit there and I know that I should say something. I should ask about this alternative perspective that have we thought about it. That's the hard piece. But it takes 10 seconds for me to ask the question. Then it becomes easy because then we can open up then we can discuss, then you get other per, others' perspectives as well. And then it's not my problem, but then it's something we, we, we have to share and discuss. So I think it's like the, we, we talk in, in our book um, with Michaela about, uh, you know, the frictions and the discomfort and, and so on. And, and now what I have, have learned since, since writing the book, uh, and I think this is, this is probably a shared learning, Michaela, where it is, uh, it's actually to to really see that friction as as um, as a prompt to action. Be like, okay, now I've, it's it's really uncomfortable. This this feels tough. Reflect, pause, and say, okay, what can I do to release this? To to sort of open up a question, open up the discussion, and and not uh, not see that as something that okay, now it's really uncomfortable. So I should just move on and be silent. So keep the discussions going. I think that's what executive teams need to do to bring in experts to dare to ask colleagues from across the organization to share their perspectives and not to think that we have all the answers because because we do not. As Michaela said, the boards and executive teams are important, but you know, it's, we are just one piece of the puzzle. It's like when, when I listen to you, Anna, and of course this, this builds a lot on the, on the themes that I talk about in, in, in my uh, coming book, but it, it, it's that we kind of need to hold humility and courage. <laughs> like we, yes. we, we need a lot of both of those things to, to be humble with what we don't know and don't understand and really get listening and also be humble with that we're not perfect that we are vulnerable and then at the same time have the courage to take steps to ask the questions to to try try to do the right things Michaela do you want to add something to that I think that one aspect of this is that I think that Anna and I, we have also been talking about the kind of the development of the function ethics and compliance where we see that this is going and what is happening in the world, if we kind of lift our eyes and look around a little bit. And, and we see this development, which we have talked about with the merger of sustainability and ESG questions. And, and for me, that's really, really natural. And because, you know, we have seen it for a long time. It's really, really natural. But what we also see is that, well, we can start to think about the responsibility of the corporations now and start trying to adjust to a different type of role in society, to be a part of society truly and assume a greater responsibility. And we can talk about ethics, we can talk about values, we can talk about culture, or we can sit back and wait. And then what will happen is that everything will turn into compliance and what we talk about the formal aspects of compliance, because there will be a 
force for new legislation coming that will force companies into assuming a bigger responsibility. So, so you know, that is why I also see that you can you can say it is very important with business ethics. It's very important with strong values. It's very important to take responsibility for stakeholders more than shareholders. Because, you know, that is what we want. That is what young people want. That is what the world needs. Or, But it is also this whole thing that, well, if we sit around, everything will be compliance. We see the new Green Deal. We see the taxonomy. We see it's coming. And what 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 interests me and what really baffles me is that I think that businesses are not at all prepared. They are thinking somehow that they can stay in the comfort zone where they are, saying what they have been taught in business schools all over the world. Oh, no, 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 this is not our problem because we are only here to make money for the shareholders. We are not a part of society. We are apart from society. No, that's not going to work. So so, so that's why the compliance methodology, the, what we talk about, the formal part, it's very important and it's going to have an increased importance. I think that is so incredibly true. And, and we're going to go towards closing this interview and, and I'm going to give people a chance to, uh, or give you a chance to share how people can connect with you and so on. But before that, I, I just want to say on a, on a more personal note that being part and, and designing and, and being a, a part of uh, leading and guiding through this responsible leadership program and creating this together with you, uh, the, the, the one of the, the my favorite parts of it has been the opportunity to get to work with both of you. And, and uh, you are incredibly passionate about these subjects. And it's been such a beautiful thing to get to learn from both of you. So, so I just wanted to, to say that before we before we close as well. That's the, that's the humble part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you to Bias. I think many, many, many of my colleagues at Yetinge, they think you work for Yetinge. They're like, oh, this is this guy. So <laughs> thank you for being part of the program. And so, uh, but finally, and, and of course, I really recommend people to get your book, uh, The Gray Zone. It's, it's a fantastic read on on many of the topics that we've been discussing today uh but also and of course you Anna you have the Nordic business initiative and so on can you talk more about how people can connect with you and and learn more about your work I think LinkedIn is probably the best best place so I'm on LinkedIn you can find me there and just drop me a note yeah and you can also join the Nordic business ethics initiative uh, that's our, at our um, webpage. You just Google Nordic Business Ethics and you'll find it. That's just a platform where we want to share inspiration for the community. We do some surveys, we have some events, and uh, it's all about sharing, we say, best practices and lessons learned the hard way. So, yeah, just uh, you can find me online, LinkedIn, probably the way, best way to connect personally. And then if you want to plug into the community, then it's the Nordic Business Ethics community that, that you should join. And Michaela? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, uh, I also have uh, the Gray Zone, my little company, so you can reach me there. And, but easiest is uh, LinkedIn. Thank you so much and, and really connect with them. And I think as well, if you have questions and you're curious about the Responsible Leadership Program, then I'm sure you can reach out as well or reach out to me and we can help you 
uh, get get some some more information and inspiration. But thank you for a fantastic conversation and the important work that you do. Thank you. Thanks to BS. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, it really means the world to us if you would share, rate, and review it on iTunes. We're super grateful for all the five-star reviews and generous comments that we've received so far. It really helps us take the message of purpose and integrity to a wider audience. And finally, don't forget to grab your free PDF on leadingtransformationalchange.com. See you in two weeks.